Well, Brian, it's only right that we congratulate Tanya Wu on her new citywide participation council seat. <laughs> and, you know, in honor of that moment and of her uh, being uh, named and confirmed as the first Asian councilwoman in Seattle in in a long, long time. <laughs> so long. Who could remember the last one? I'd like to spend the next hour... You know, getting into the nitty gritty, the real like details of the subtle differences between Asians, South Asians, East Asians, <laughs> because we're not racist. Welcome back to the Mechanical Freak Podcast podcast where we break down every ethnicity on the Indian subcontinent and decide is it Asian or not um, yeah uh, interesting race discourse in uh, Seattle lately Greg uh, look look forward to seeing how that plays out we're here today Munya he's off he's on vacation and by vacation I mean actually at his paying job uh, Greg me and you don't have paying jobs to worry about <laughs> we're totally free to pod how are you doing today? Hell yeah. That's where I'm at. <laughs> That's where I'm at. I'm in I'm currently in my third now um dispute with the Washington State Unemployment Office Hell regarding yeah. uh adjuncts and whether they or not they're eligible for unemployment. They don't know that you're that you'll never give up, you'll never surrender. Exactly. Well, now my letter has gotten very tight that I send back to them of nothing but just legal citations and now citations from a judge's order. Uh, basically <laughs> You're saying, citing we've, case we've, law. Yeah, like we've already yeah, decided your own this. previous cases. Yeah, that's that's my conclusion now is, that, mm. by the way, this has already been decided before. Here you go. So uh, feeling pretty good uh, that I will once again uh, come out triumphant on this. Uh, but anyways... What's going on with you? How's, how's life in Seattle now that Tanya Wu is behind the wheel and we're all doing, we're all going to be doing great. I mean, I, like it's a new day, you know, for Seattle now that the council has confirmed a woman who really has gotten to the heart of why Shamus Want was such a problem for this town. And that's that, God damn it, she just looks too black to be Asian. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I think this council getting bogged down in the minutiae of like inter-Asian <laughs> racial disputes, I think is uh, you can, a perfect. Yeah. You can say inter-Asian racism. Yeah, as a, as a perfect, uh, uh, you know, capper to what was a pretty depressing election. Oh, it's a perfect capture to the to the um, the long reign of uh, Shamus Want and the mm -hmm. the ins the insanity uh, provoked by her. I'm on the council. It's a psychosis that'll keep like bleeding out of the ears of the people in power in this town for years to come. You know, they'll be slipping and like uh, blaming Sawant for, you know, uh, somebody, you know, for the works being gummed up on the council as they want to like, you know, finally approve the homeless barge or something. <laughs> yeah, the the movement of all the homeless to the like Pacific Ocean garbage patch essentially. Um yeah, the uh 
the funny part about it for me was just everybody knew from the beginning the Chamber of Commerce had already picked Tanya Wu as the council candidate. Everybody knew, or this, the, the new council member. Everybody knew she was going to be appointed. But I love this city's newspapers, you know, the Seattle Times dedication to process and that they still like kind of breathlessly covered the whole process of nominating and then uh, putting Tanya Wu on the council. It was very funny listening on NPR, the talking heads shows like and we can review going back and forth about this this process as well. And so I'm going to say. Kudos for the idea of process in Seattle. I'm I'm glad that this thing that we all knew was going to happen was already pre-decided. But you know what? We did the process. We wasted to, two to three weeks. It has to be reaffirmed, <laughs> Brian. And and new generations of of political like democratic subjects have to be, you know, educated. Like this was it was like a, a live real time schoolhouse rock performance. For the Seattle process, right? <laughs> yeah, you love it. You love to see it. Uh, so I love it. So big ups to the process. Well, today, I think we got a lot of updates that we got to catch up on, right? We've been following the hot news, you know, what happened to Andrew Lewis, uh, my health report, you know, all those kind of things. The hot news as it comes off the press. But we got to catch Speaking up with some of, old news. I got, well, I, yeah, I got, exactly. I got to update you and the listeners on the boat sinking situation. Oh, please, Greg. Right now, listeners, you can't see me and Greg. We're on a video call, so I can see water is flooding into Nyad right now. Um, <laughs> Greg is just floating well, on a life raft in okay, the middle of this Listen, boat. you know, to, to, to lay everybody's fears at ease, I can tell you, in fact, though... The bilge pump was going off, meaning like water was collecting in the lowest part of the boat and being pumped out by the automatic uh, system for doing so, which alerted me to some kind of problem. I can confirm now <laughs> that, in fact, the boat was never at any time sinking. The water coming into the bilge was already on the boat and thus <laughs> had it completely leaked out of where it was coming from. No change in the buoyancy of Nyad would have been affected. And indeed, with the exhaustion of the source of that water, the problem would have solved itself. That is because the leak was coming from the freshwater, the potable water system. Oh, don't uh, need that. Specifically, so, you know, just some just some drinkable water leaking into uh, the boat. That's fine. Just had to find that leak and fix it. Specifically, the leak was coming from the hot water heater. More specifically, from the, uh, it's an electric hot water heater, of course, but it also has a heat exchanger inside of it uh, from that uh, runs the engine coolant through it so that you can have hot water out at sea when you run the engine. And it turns out that there was a small leak likely due to corrosion in that heat exchanger, which I discovered because uh, diluted water was coming up and overflowing the engine coolant overflow system. So there was, you know, a minor leak there and presumably thus some, I guess you would say, contamination of the potable water system with <laughs> ethylene glycol, also known as antifreeze. Um, so just had to bypass that and no problem. 
hey, problem solved. Another huge victory for boat life. Um, uh, yeah. Right. And, and this, this, you know, puts me in mind of, you know, just how surrounded at all times we are by chemical pollutants in our environment, industrial uh, petrochemicals that we're just surrounded by at all times and, and can't really avoid. And, you know, I just thank God that, and I hope everyone will learn from this situation and, and, and do what I do, and, you know, follow the lessons that, that I have, you know, always followed that prevented me from, you know, ingesting more than really a hint of ethylene glycol. And that's never drink out of the hot tap. <laughs> and more importantly, always filter your water. <laughs> uh, real answer uh, don't drink water, only drink soda. Good enough for medieval peasants, good enough for us. All right. Soda only. Uh, the more sugar in your soda, the safer it is to drink. That's uh, that's some doctor's advice for you. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, uh, Greg, from one pollutant to another, uh, Alec Baldwin, indicted. So <laughs> this last week, Alec Baldwin was indicted on manslaughter charges for making the movie Rust. Indicted for art, you might say. Uh, we covered the story a little bit where you gave us some insight. This was oh, yeah, we talked last about this year. A little bit. We talked about this for like an hour when it happened. Um, yeah, where you gave us more. some insight into the Hollywood process and yeah. why this is actually, in fact, uh, Alec Baldwin's fault. No, uh, no, well, let me correct you there. Actually, I need we we've been waiting to dive back into this, waiting for this shoe to drop, basically. And I, we haven't really talked about because actually that that was not my position. Um <laughs> My position at the time was that Alec Baldwin was really probably blameless here just because he's the dumb actor who pulled the trigger um, because it's it in no way can it ultimately like the way it works, be his responsibility. And if as an actor, because he's actors are big, you know, just the babies who you, you like, you literally put a mark on the floor where they need to stand. You mm -hmm. give them like papers that have words on them for them to say, and you go through a bunch of safety processes that they are trained to trust. And then you hand the, you put a, a gun in their hand that should be safe in whatever situation that's going on. And that was not the case. Now we talked about um, all the people who should be responsible for this shit, including, I mean, the armor, uh, the assistant director who like is, like legally and that's picked up backed up by case law and like assistant directors like spending time in prison for shit like this who really directly also implicated himself by uh circumventing the the process in its last step and taking the gun off the armorer's cart and putting it in Baldwin's hand um uh that guy should end up in prison um mm -hmm. cuz whatever else was true that shouldn't have happened um but you know, but Baldwin, the actor, the his role in the process is to be handed the gun and do what he's told. And there's well, supposed to be safety processes that even an actor has like SAG training to understand. And like now we also talked about the fact that two two things that there was this was a like there was major like labor problems on this. Um, did you do that? You did that. I'm not By doing the, Greg's camera listeners has been out oh of control God. the last few episodes. He does little hand motions. And because he's 
constantly on TikTok or something. No, he does little the, hand motions. It's the and, Mac camera. It yeah, does, little, it's, little balloons come up, thumbs up emojis happen. I like turn this shit off. Thinking thumbs up. Uh, but yes. <sighs> okay. So, so there were so, two, uh, two issues, yes. which is <laughs> well, there were major labor problems on this non-union show where, and presumably they've been going on, where that day at lunch, the, the, a lot of the union crew had walked over safety concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this happened right when he came back from lunch. And I even defended Baldwin in that saying like, look again, he's an actor. Like this happened so fast. Like they literally walked at lunch. Then they came back from lunch and this happened for all, you know, he's in his trailer or it's like, you don't like it's happening fast. You're, you're getting, yeah. you know, it's, this is within minutes. Well, Alec, basically, Alec is not at lunch with the boys. Like the one thing is for sure. Alec Baldwin is not seeing anybody on that set when he's not directly being on camera on set. So I proposed a likely situation where he's basically oblivious because he's a dumbass, even as a nominal producer, which we'll get into. And like all this stuff's happening fast. Like, you know, other people didn't walk either. Like the DP who died, you know, didn't Mm -hmm. walk when her entire crew under her like left. Um, You know, that was someone who probably knew more about it, but, you know, felt the pressure to stay because, you know, she was, this was her, uh, she was had this above the line role as the DP, like, you know, a career making movie, potentially ultimately life ending. I mean, I don't mean to make light of it. It's horrible. Um, but like, you know, you're not necessarily like rushing to tell Alec Baldwin, Hey, by the way, this production's falling apart. Uh, the crew's walking because of safety. No, you're probably insulating him from that as the the um, the AD staff and the producers to a degree. Like just if you're especially if you're just trying to get the thing shooting like immediately right after lunch, after the crew walks, like with what you've got, like Alec Baldwin's walking into set. He could be asking like, hey, so, uh, you know, it's as these things you would be learned figuring out what's going on after an hour. Then there's the issue of him being a producer, which definitely implicates yes. him in some ways. But even that I argued like, look, yeah, it's an independent film with a, a big name actor. They just get named a producer on that as a part of doing it. Right. Like he's not like legally it should be ex, um, uh, you know, explored what culpability he would have as a producer. um, just just on the basis of having his name on it, but probably ultimately like you'd be able to show like he probably just was oblivious to everything going on and is basically a producer's basically a vanity credit. Now, this is all not now. I think that's the basis still on which you would have to explore it legally and look into the evidence. But I propose that likely what the evidence would be is that he really was kind of oblivious to everything going on because that's typically the case. Like, except, you know, little details that he wanted to be. Like, he wants to come in the meeting mm-hmm. and say, like, I think my character should do this or, like, you know, feel like he's contributing in some way. But, like, the day-to-day, that the labor relations, like, whatever, this is all just hypothetically based on, like, my understanding of how the business works and what actors are like and big-name actors. And, like, what I didn't know when we talked about that, and this is interesting, I just, I just had no idea about this, that... Alec Baldwin has always been militantly politically active in the Screen Actors Guild as basically a a major 
pro-management voice, a major <laughs> asshole. In e he is in every top meeting of SAG. Who, saying, who could have seen that you coming? Were not striking. Well, I, 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 no, yeah, no, I just, no, I, I know you didn't know. know, but I mean, like when you hear it, you're like, yeah, that makes right. total Once sense. Once you hear it, you're like, oh, it totally <laughs> makes sense. But like, but like, you don't. Who knows? I mean, actors play all kinds of characters. Like, yes, he's a known asshole, but like that doesn't necessarily translate to this. No, no, he is a like militantly pro-management fuck fuck you like still but like has pull in the union history of like barging into union meetings and like shutting them down and saying like no we're not striking like all this kind of shit and that really changes just knowing that he is that even that guy who cares that much about that part of it means two things uh i bet he was absolutely watching what was going on labor wise and was very aware of everything, right? And B, uh, yeah, was a total asshole about it and was like, yeah, fuck this, let's go, you know? Which mm -hmm. the new indictment says, after extensive investigation over the past several months, additional facts have come to light that we believe show Mr. Baldwin has crim criminal culpability in the death of Helena Hutchins and the shooting of Joel Souza, that's the director. Uh, and so basically this is, I mean, this is the question I pose is like, they're going to have to look into his culpability as the producer. And, um, and that's where you're going to get him. Now, what's funny is all along, he's also denied pulling the trigger, which is like, and, and, and the, the, now <laughs> there was this, another shooter on the grassy knoll. No, but like it went <laughs> off in his hand or something. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not how guns and, work. But. Well, it, in a way, it is right. It's very easy to pull the trigger of a gun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and yeah. it's like it went off in your hand when you pulled the trigger. But like, right? it, yeah, but without also, pulling the trigger, it doesn't go off. Yeah. Also, it's just a legal defense. It's like you admit yeah, nothing, yeah. right? If, yeah. you, if you're the guy who pulled the trigger, you say no, I didn't. Yeah, yeah, you know, smart and move. He's got good lawyers. He, of course, he affected the gun to go off. But but again, if he ends up being actually convicted of something and, and gets like you know something, whatever, I don't know. It's not going to be because of that, even if that's like thrown around a bit like it's going to because like, again, that that's his job. That was yeah, yeah. that is what he was supposed to do um, is stand there, be handed a gun and fire it at the camera and pull the trigger. That's what he was supposed to do. That's what he was. This was in the script. That's what they're telling him to do. And the problem is um, that the all safety had broken down. And the problem for him is going to be that uh, I bet there's evidence showing that he knew all about that, not only as the actor, but in a position of serious, actual legal uh, managerial responsibility. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is my sort of position at the time was that Alec Baldwin, the actor, is not guilty of anything. Yeah. Alec yeah. Baldwin, the producer, <laughs> is very guilty. I think at the time my position was he's an actor of uh, pretty considerable experience. And on a set like that, as you know, Greg, he is the most powerful person on that set. Yeah, yeah as Alec Baldwin, And could have and he would have known from experience that the set was not running as it should and yeah, should totally. have stopped it. Well, that, that's um, but another now we interesting... know it's more aggressive than that. What he was doing. Right. And yeah. That's, you know, I think that's what's going to come out. I think there is still a question. I think you can ask the question, actually, like as the actor, like what is his responsibility? I think when it comes to someone dying like this, like, I think you can ask the question and legally, like they could say like, well, whatever the case of what the standards are, yes, their job is to be stand here and do this. Like the 
court may find like, well, he also, as the actor, knew the crew was complaining of safety. They the they had, you know, he as the actor knew because he's been in trainings, probably actual like union trainings saying like you're supposed to be hand, the gun hand have the gun handed to you by the armor who's actually tells you uh i have cleared this weapon you know oh, but but but, th- but instead the the ad angrily just handed it to him grabbed it off the cart you know and though it may be that that is also the professional this it'll get into like what are the actual established professional standards no. you know but i think probably He'll, that's not what's going to get him, you know. Yeah, I think it, it's fair to uh, to reevaluate and ask the question, like, what are the responsibility of the actors here, you know? But probably in the end, there's going to be so many layers of things that the professional standard is for him to trust the process. That, yeah, like, yeah, you know. What I will say, this does remind me of one of the funnier aspects of the indictment, which is, you know alleged by the prosecution the indictment uh, because they were told this by everybody on set um, that uh, during safety meetings, Alec would essentially tank the safety meetings by just taking phone calls really loudly in the Incredible. back of the room. I mean, um, that, you know, uh, that right there absolutely gets to his responsibility as the actor as well, because he's there yeah. in that safety meeting, which the whole crew supposed to be every day or also, you know, as an addendum before any, you know, uh, stunt or unsafe thing that that's his responsibility as the actor also. So it's like, you know, he's in this dual role, but like, yeah, if you're tanking the safety meeting, like an asshole, like, yeah, I mean, he's either way. That's exactly the kind of, I did not read that detail, but like, that's a, once I heard about what a giant, like militantly political, um, asshole he is, in the union and on productions, uh, that's exactly the kind of thing you picture and go, Oh, he was, he was this kind of piece of shit the whole time, which means, yeah, he's absolutely responsible. Yeah. And I think, um, just the one last point on this is on the right, you know, they are viewing this whole thing as essentially like a criminal murder case, like a case of like interpersonal violence between Alec Baldwin and the director of photography or whatever. And I think that's the wrong way to view it, which kind of gets people stuck in these holes. It's a workplace accident. You had a workplace accident and somebody died, right? Somebody was seriously injured and another person died. And in workplace accidents, a lot of times there are a lot of people who are at fault. Responsible, yeah. Who are responsible for that safety because you have a lot of supposed to have layers of safety, you know? Yeah. And uh, and every layer for something like this to happen at this level, you know, uh, with these consequences, like layers of safety had to fail, you know, not just one thing, right? And you you have to be a certain kind of asshole or a certain kind of. like just irresponsible toad to like it, it is possible not is it i know because like i do as i said in that episode like i sometimes do one of those jobs that is legally considered responsibility for like safety on set you know that people have been prosecuted and gone to jail as producers and assistant directors when people get hurt or die and those producers or assistant directors are found to have let the production slip outside of the industry professional standards for safety in the relevant situation that they're responsible for and that they know this and that they're, you know, seen to continue on anyway. And it's like, 
it's it's easy enough to know that, understand it. Uh, you know, I've never even done those jobs at any as part of the director's guild as in a, on a union picture, just on a non-union. But like, I know that like I'm responsible for this shit, and I and way way less uh, serious things than pointing guns at people. I you know I, I've said like no, we're gonna do this the absolute like you know we're going to take every step possible to show to to be safe to do the extra thing because like it's not it's about the safety but it's also about like covering your ass for safety because people do get hurt and when that happens you know you want to try to avoid that but when it happens you want to at least (laughs) at the very least have the sense of self-preservation to have it shown at every step of the way that you're doing the industry standard practice to avoid that or be prepared for it. Like having safety personnel ready, like having, you know, a lifeguard out of frame when you have someone in even a foot of water on a beach, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's the kind of shit like people will roll their eyes at. And, and I say, fuck you, you're paying for it. Or I'm not showing up that day because I'm not, I'm not, going to prison because somebody gets pulled out by a riptide and dies and then there's this email conversation where i say yeah i guess we don't need a lifeguard that day i mean that's i'm not i'm not taking that risk Mm -hmm. for you fuck you you don't have to do that shit yeah which is the common workplace uh accident mistake of looking at something and saying well if everything goes right we won't need these safety procedures and not understanding that like well you know, things don't always go right. Yeah, <laughs> you so know, and that's why you need the safety procedure. Risk mitigation right? and no. safety mitigation no. is not about the what the chance of something happening. It's about the consequences of something happening. Yes. yes. Well, speaking of that, uh, we got some new NTSB updates from Boeing. Uh, turns out that that plug door, the door plug that flew off the Alaska Airlines flight uh, as they were taking off, Never had the four bolts in it that hold it onto the plane. <laughs> Whoopsie. <laughs> Whoops. Um, so they have traced this back. And I have to say the problem here uh, is bigger than just those four bolts missing on that one plane. They've traced it back. Uh, this part of the fuselage is assembled by Spirit Aerosystems which currently has a very interesting lawsuit filed against it by its own employees <laughs> regarding safety standards at Spirit Aerosystems. That's worth a read, I got to say. The 80-page the uh, lawsuit, worth the read. Um, but the what they found out was that the quality control at Spirit Aerospace was so bad that they're having somebody what they call in the business escapes, meaning things that are, um, you know, would not meet quality standards that get shipped out of Spirit and make it to Boeing, right? That's why they called an escape. They had so many escapes that Boeing forced Spirit to send full-time employees to work full-time at the Renton facility fixing escapes, Right. So so Spirit had to send a cadre of workers to Renton Boeing who just sit there full time on the assembly line, fixing all the fuck ups from Spirit that get to Boeing. The problem being that they didn't have once it got to that point, Mm -hmm. they didn't have integrated quality management systems, meaning 
Boeing and Spirit were using different programs and systems for tracking quality, you yeah. know, as they were going across the line. So there was no communication between the teams either. Uh, mm-hmm. At some point with this particular door, uh, the door was taken off. And within Boeing and Spirit's quality management systems, apparently this is true of both of them, uh, they have created a sort of loophole for themselves when it comes to the door plugs where you can take a plug, a door plug off or you can open it. And if you it's open the same it, thing. yeah, so if you open it, you bypass all of the checkoffs that you would need if you were to take it off, right? Meaning you do not have to have somebody come in, check all the mm. bolts, sign off that it's been reinstalled correctly and, you know, date it and all that kind of stuff. Say we took it off on this day. We put it back on this day. I'm signing off that it's okay, right? Uh, you don't have to do any of that if you just open it. Now, the problem with this being, that, yes, as you pointed out, Greg, opening the door and taking it off are the same thing. <laughs> there is no difference between the two. If you open it, you have to take it off. So it's yeah. just a linguistic edge or a linguistic loophole to get past a quality inspection point. Because it has no hinges at this point. It can't yeah. open like a door. It's a plug. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's no opening it. Yeah. Until you install the emergency exit, it is not a door in the sense that it opens anyway. And even the emergency exit shoots off. It doesn't like hinge open. So like part yeah. of innovating is is finding ways around red tape that neoliberalism hasn't yet seen fit to eliminate on like a state level. Okay. So, (laughs) I mean, I think we should applaud them for uh, their uh, entrepreneurial spirit here. Yeah, for real. Right. And what's interesting though, is it shows uh, there's been some whistleblowers at Boeing that have come out and pointed out that particularly since the max disasters, uh, the original ones, um, that the quality management at Boeing has actually gone down rather than improved, right? So part of the max disasters was a failure in quality management. And it's, it's gotten worse since then as Boeing has emphasized production over inspection. Um, that means that quality checkpoints are just being skipped or just taken off of the list, you know, uh, in the mm-hmm. production process. And because of that, there's been increasing numbers of planes that once they get to the uh, the airline, right, essentially the airline is finding escapes on them. So essentially the airline is finding doors that are rattling and things like that. Alaska Airlines has pointed this out. that They found many planes where the uh, door plugs are rattling around or not attached properly, Incredible. et cetera, right? These get reported to the FAA. And for years now, the FAA has been getting this increasing number of reports of production escapes and has done nothing, meaning that this is a failure at Spirit Aerosystems. This is a failure at Boeing to watch what they know is a known point of failure, which is Spirit Aerosystems and how it runs, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But it's also a failure at the point of the FAA of when they're getting these reports back that new planes are having these quality management issues, they're not going back to Boeing and forcing a much more stringent, you know, quality management regime on them. They're basically just, they're, they're like uh, Biden and Netanyahu. They're just having conversations. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Like, <laughs> this is what we talked about. Like when this happened is like, you know, at, at what point does the state capacity like erode here? Mm-hmm. 
you know, yeah. and like maybe that's happening at uneven levels where the N- NTSB like still has this robust like uh, mandate and funding and culture where they're w- rigorously like investigating this stuff with an incredible speed and uh, thoroughness. And but the actual like regulatory body that could, you know, that would prevent shit like this uh has been degraded and and captured by industry and like at, you know that's a that's a tension in the uh capacity and the um you know mission of the state you know and you got I, I can only speculate like how that tension will be resolved over the long yeah. term right like <laughs> which way will it go who who will win out you know will the FAA like get turned around and like really start cracking down on on Boeing for this shit or will you know the NTSB begin to be degraded to where like you know we never even find out why this shit happens in the future you know yeah, and I think it shows the the yeah the fraying edges that neoliberalism causes in these things because there was just this last week another uh, Boeing plane uh, was forced to be grounded because a is a new plane and the tire just came off the rim on the front <laughs> landing gear that just came right off right it's got now, two up there right <laughs> yeah right you're good right you only need you only need one but the, but the issue with that is I would almost guess that that's probably man it really depends on the age of the plane it said it was new but didn't specify like what they meant by that that could just mean it's a year old or whatever like there's a very high probability that that one is on the maintenance crews of the airlines who have also been cut to the bone have also become incredibly lax on inspections and things like that of the planes while they're in the airlines, you know, uh, inventory. Right. And so like it's fraying all the levels of safety, right. Just like, just like on the movie rust, all the levels of safety are just Hmm. falling away, you know, and fraying at the edges because of budget cuts. I mean, quite frankly, you know, so that the airlines can do stock buybacks, the Boeing can do stock buybacks, Etc. Uh, is is put the crunch. It, the money's got to come from somewhere, and it's come from safety. And uh, I, I think you know this this door incident. It you know obviously it was terrifying <laughs> for everybody on the plane. There was that poor teenager who's like, "I'd be seeing dollar signs." Uh, yeah, I mean, look, they're, they're, the the lawsuit is already, you know, working its way, right? Like <laughs> the class action suit against Boeing is happening. But, uh, you know, I mean, that's a terrifying experience. Oh, but yeah. had they been at higher altitude, I mean, it would have been a tragic, you know, uh, you know, accident. Right. And it's. Uh, but it's it's sort of a canary in the coal in the coal mine of. A bigger problem that is a lot harder to fix that. Oh, there was just some bolts missing on a door. You know, uh, there's just problems all the way up and down the production chain and then up and down the maintenance chain and then up and down the regulatory chain. And uh, it's it's concerning. <laughs> was that somebody? Was that, started, <laughs> go ahead. Was that plane with the uh, screws missing from the wing, a Boeing plane? It, yeah, it was. And hilariously, uh, the. <laughs> The response from the airline was, 
Well, yeah, of course, we're not going to, you know, we're going to ground the plane and fix it because, you know, like that's what's concerning to the passengers is concerned to us. But then they kind of came back with a caveat. They're like, but you don't need every screw. And the thing <laughs> is, is like when you're like, when you disassemble like, you know, some home appliance, you know, to fix it, and you put it back together and you realize you have like a bunch of extra screws and you just say, well, they're probably you probably don't need all of them. That's one thing, because that's just sitting on the floor in your house, right? <laughs> you know, when it's flying, you know, 50,000 feet in the air, that's that's a little more concerning. <laughs> well, right. It's like that betrays like exactly this that we've been talking about is this creep in the even just the assumption that part of air travel, commercial air travel being viable is this like rigid commitment to safety as a marketing factor you know yeah part of why the and like the reason like uh the ntsb is so um well funded and always has been and and why you know regulation has been so strong is so that you can always say like look it's so safe to fly because people are afraid of it because they don't like this shit they don't like the idea of uh making this choice to like go on a vacation and get in something that's traveling at, you know, 20,000 feet and then fall out of the sky and die. Like you're going to feel stupid when that happens. Cause you're going to feel like, well, why did I do that? Why did I get on this thing? Like what, yeah. why <laughs> when I could have not done this? And the answer has been, you can always say to yourself, Oh, well it's the safest way to travel. Mm-hmm. And if the airline is even saying like, um, and I think even the air, like the whole system understood this and had this attitude where like, oh, yes, of course, safety is absolutely primary. And so, you you know, you can imagine an earlier version of this if it was allowed to happen at all. You'd, it'd be, oh, well, some people are getting fired and we're doing a whole review because we need to be up to the standards or whatever. And like, but no, they're saying like, guys, calm down, whatever. Like, look, our whole society's crumbling Air travel has commercial air travels never actually been profitable. So this is just a scam that we're we're keeping running <laughs> for a while to see how many times we can get bailed out or how many how much money we can make on the like banking the miles like uh like so many things like the the structures of the 20th century that like our whole existence in America is built on are just falling apart and and being given up on, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I guess we should specify that NTSB is the National Transportation Safety Board, but, mm-hmm. you know, they the NTSB... Yeah, and they investigate plane crashes. Mishaps, you know? And the NTSB is a victory, right? Like, yeah, that is yeah. a victory of, you know, state capacity and regulation and things like that. And, yeah, what it's we're seeing... for the industry, too. Yeah, right? Yeah. Of course. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what makes when people say like all oh, air travel is safer than car travel. It's like, yeah, thank the NTSB for that. Not Boeing, yeah. not, not uh, you know, you, regulatory bodies created that. Right. And, you know, as you see it fray at the production level and things like that, it's, you know, like I said, it's uh, uh, concerning for the future of air travel. I uh, really wish I wasn't so invested in that industry uh, at this point. But, uh, yeah, right. Certainly concerning. Now. This week, uh, in an earnings call, Alaska Airlines, uh, they stated... Now, Alaska Airlines is important because they were previously committed to an all-Boeing fleet, meaning they're a major purchaser of Boeing planes. 
had stated that they were going to potentially explore other options when it came to purchasing planes in the future. Now, because there's really only two manufacturers in the world of passenger airlines, exploring other options is not like super viable in the immediate term, but it does pose long-term problems for Boeing. Yeah. Uh, but but had told shareholders that they were thinking of exploring other options other than Boeing, meaning Airbus, to uh, for future plane purchases. Hey, there's uh, the Chinese. Yeah, I mean... They're, they're starting yeah, to make planes. They're starting to make planes. Um, they're close... relate. They're, the increasing closeness between China and Russia, which has been hilariously accelerated by American foreign policy, um, is also probably not a great sign for Boeing and Airbus because as much as people like to make fun of Russia and call it a, you know, a gas station with a government attached to it or whatever bullshit, uh, the Russians since the Soviet days have been top-notch aerospace engineers and producers. Like, they they really know actually how to make a plane. Oh. And so there's a lot of technical know-how uh, within Russia that uh, if certainly paired up with, you know, Chinese productive capacity and things like that, uh, you really could build a, a very quickly, I think, build a competitor to, to Boeing and Airbus uh, and really get it up and going. And yeah, once that hits the market, you know, one more one more reason not to purchase from Boeing as, as the planes keep falling out of the sky. Now, the MAX 9 got grounded uh, because of the, the store plug issue. And uh, the FAA very quickly, I think I was on Monday, came out and said that they've come up with a new inspection regime to help get those planes off the ground, right? So that they can start clearing the MAX 9s for takeoff again, for use again. And all I can say is deja vu, right? <laughs> you yeah. know, how many, how many times are we, are we going to hear this about the MAX 9, you know? But yeah, good times. All right. Well... From one tragedy to another. Um, this one, you know, I don't know what to say about this, but the ICJ, uh, the International Court of Justice, it gave its preliminary ruling on the Gaza genocide case. Uh, now, this is just this initial ruling was never going to be like the genocide case, right? Essentially, they were just hearing opening arguments, right? This was this is like the indictment period, right? And the, the South Africans were asking for like something like an injunction mm -hmm. immediately yeah. because of, you know, the possible risk that this is a genocide or could be. And thus some, some whatever action that the ICJ could take to, you know, strenuously say like, you need to have a ceasefire now because this is looking like a genocide. That was like the highest, that was the ask um, mm -hmm. for right now. Yeah, and so that would have involved the ICJ asking its member states. So obviously there, there are countries that have signed on to the International Court of Justice, a lot of them, including most of the West, right? Um, basically asking them to intervene in what ways possible, militarily, economic, whatever, uh, to stop this, right? Uh, while the actual case goes to trial, right? Yeah. Now, the preliminary ruling has come out. There are three kind of main points to it. Uh, the first being that they ruled that they do have jurisdiction to rule on this case. That was the, Israel's main argument uh, was that it was out of their jurisdiction. Definitely when when, when somebody says a lot. 
Yeah, when you're pushing gen- when you're like up against it, and somebody's saying you're committing a genocide, definitely go in a jurisdictional. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, like, yeah, we're doing that, but it's not really within your jurisdiction to tell us to stop. Um, they also uh, ruled that you know is while they will not do the injunction or ask their member states to intervene, uh, they did tell Israel you have to stop the no no more no more further genocidal actions in gaza all right pinky swear to us you're not going to do it uh netanyahu has already responded to that by telling them to fuck off um as well as they they ordered israel sorry i mean this whole story is so fucking tragic but it's like some elements are just so comical they ordered israel to preserve any evidence of genocide in gaza for this future trial against well, that's israel complying with <laughs> yeah they're putting that, it on the internet i mean all you'll ever have to do is go back go to the Wayback machine and it'll be there when you need it you know it's all on tiktok i mean basically it can be summed up you know what their ruling was is yes we can confirm genocide is illegal and you shouldn't do it so yeah the ruling is not it's nothing they it's nothing they they just all they all they've really said is yes we are a court uh that uh you know, is an appropriate place to uh, try cases of genocide should they ever happen. And if they do, that's illegal and you shouldn't do it. And yeah, and when crimes are committed, uh, evidence should be preserved. You know, it's like, it's just this the status quo, you know, everything, everybody knew. So. Yeah, and, and I think. Well, this is what was expected, but. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't, you know. Um, I feel like, I, I feel like I've, you know, I'm seeing some uh, actually people tried and spin this like with some positive like uh in some positive ways like oh they they're telling israel not to do genocide and it's like well genocide's illegal like that they're just saying all you're saying is Mm -hmm. you know you're you're covering your ass by saying like yeah obviously you shouldn't do this but since we don't since we don't know that you're doing it since you know since evidently our ruling is actually that despite all this evidence that was brought forward by the South Africans <laughs> from the internet um, and newspapers, uh, like what all this that we've seen does not rise to the level of, mm. you know, the world taking action or even us, this court asking, you know, yeah, like you say, the members uh, to take action. So that's the actual ruling saying just a reminder, genocide would be illegal if anyone was doing it is nothing. That's yeah, I think, you know, nothing at all. yeah, the basic ruling is to say we'll go forward in hearing this case. And, you know, that yeah. has some value in the sense that it, it, like, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, this would have not happened, right? It never would have gotten they, to this stage, yeah, right? Which, you know, is, which again, is, you know, I come back something. to this. I, I yeah. come back to, no, it's not because yeah, 20 or 30 years ago, they weren't killing Palestinians at this incredible yeah. pace. They were doing it yeah. much more slowly for the last 70 years, you know, like, uh, yeah. like, so yeah, yeah. They're going to, they're going to have to hear it. Like the, the Israelis have forced their hand on, on that. They have forced them to say, we're, we're going to hear this, but you know, all that means is like, the, you know, the, this is going to be dragged out for years and ultimately it's going to also not go anywhere. You know, I mean, yeah, I, well, the, the politics of this could change over the years that this takes. Anything could happen globally. Anything could happen in and to Israel, to the United States. So who knows? But, you know, all things being equal, 
uh, they're going to get away with this. Yeah, well, and obviously, uh, yeah, look, there's nothing to do to stop it. And this was the the critique from the beginning that a lot of people had. I mean, there's sort of, there's two points, I guess, here. So the first one is, yeah, they were never going to be able to stop it because to be able to stop it would require a military intervention on behalf of the people of Gaza uh, against Israel uh, and carrying this out. Now, in order to do that, whichever states agreed to take on that military intervention would essentially be declaring war against the United States because the United States would, of course, immediately declare war against them. Now, uh, basically, by saying that we will intervene to stop Israel from committing a genocide, you would essentially have to be declaring World War Three, right? Yeah. Which is why this is never going to go anywhere, right? Because no country at this point wants to engage in a direct like to the death conflict with the United States, right? You know, at that level, right? Um, yeah. Which is why the only people that, you know, are, it, and we know that the United States would, in, you know, engage militarily in Israel's defense because they're doing it right now in Yemen, right? Yeah. So this is not like a hypothetical. The United States is responding currently with military violence against the only state in uh, the world that is taking any sort of like serious you know, direct action to stop this genocide from being carried out. Um, so that's why this was never going to go anywhere, right? Even if uh, even if that, you know, panel of judges was just 12 uh, clones of Lenin, like, you know, they would still have to convince some major military yeah. power to intervene, right? Um, and go to war with the United States, essentially, right? So that's one level of it, right? I think another side to take on this is kind of that, that old argument of like, is it, uh, should you still have a protest if the protest isn't going to get the immediate results that you want, right, of ending a war or whatever mm -hmm. like that? And I think there is still some value in, you know, really shoving these institutions. I mean, international capitalism, like, rests on this idea, this fantasy of like, norms and international order like a rules-based rules -based international yeah. order man yeah and it, and it is important i think to shove on that a little bit and yeah. reveal the sham that it is for all the world to see right to make the power completely naked you know so that those who are still sitting on the fence you can knock some of them off the fucking fence on this um, yeah. I, so I, I think there's some value in what south africa is doing and pushing absolutely forward with it you know i mean even if it's, it's just built to chronicle in. it, Jesus, and not just let it happen yeah. in, in darkness, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And But I think it's, you know, it's just kind of built in. Like, the Israelis mm -hmm. know, like, on some level, whatever they say, however indignant they are about it, and whatever legal defenses they use, like, they know, like, it, this is the the pushback of the international system is, all, is on some level, like, baked into this, you know, yeah. this level of carnage. Yeah. Well, yeah, and from their perspective, I mean, so Netanyahu has already just come out. He had a statement, I think, yesterday, where uh, the statement could be summed up as, fuck off, we don't care. Um, which they know they can do, because they have several hundred nuclear weapons, and they're backed by the country with the most nuclear weapons on the planet, right? That's also a hyper-violent, you know, country, right? Uh, so they know that the international order doesn't mean anything to them, right? They can just do what they want, right? Interestingly, uh, the spokespeople, I don't know if you saw that video of like Ryan Grimm asking, you know, one of the spokespersons for the Biden White House, uh, like, what are you going to do about this ICJ preliminary ruling? 
And the guy was just like, well, nothing. <laughs> he's like, well, what is that? You guys claim to believe in the rules based on international order. So what does that mean? Right. And he's like, oh, look, I can't make any comments up here. But uh, the United States essentially has also said, you know, fuck you. We don't care. Do what yeah. you want. Right. Essentially did the Andrew Jackson, like, you know, how big's the army the ICJ has? Yeah. You know, how many soldiers yeah. do they got? Right. Um, and so, you know, uh, like, look. This was never going to be the silver bullet that ended what's happening in Gaza, right? Um, unfortunately, that situation looks way more depressing uh, than any of that. Um, but, you know, shit. It's, you know, I guess something. And uh, all I could say is you just got to... <laughs> fuck, man. I hope the American empire ends that's uh, that's basically where we're at at this point like that that that's the only thing that's going to stop this at this point and uh look internally we seem to be doing all we can <laughs> on our own to end it but just yeah oof. sectional crisis 2024 <laughs> yeah so yeah let's get to the, the american civil war happening in texas now obviously there's a lot that's silly about this uh but the texas state government and part in, of it as part of a uh, promotional uh, uh, push for the new movie Civil War. Yeah, yeah, the new A twenty four film Civil War. Yeah. Uh, people it's are vi- it's viral marketing. Yeah, I do have to say people are getting excited about that. Looks like dog shit. Sorry, A twenty four brought out by private equity is being run into the ground. Uh, no thanks. All right. So, um, but what's happening in Texas? So. As part of Greg Abbott's campaign, futile, I would say, campaign to build a national stage for himself and platform for himself to be Trump 2.0. Uh, I don't think that's going to work. Greg Abbott is a, even in this state of Texas, a reprehensible human being, kind of like Ron DeSantis, that the more yeah. anybody interacts with them, the more like uh, off-putting and reprehensible they find him. Uh, luckily, for him, the state of Texas is a completely controlled state by the GOP. So it doesn't really matter what anybody in the state thinks about him. But that being said, he has deployed, uh, you know, Texas State Guard troops since Texas National Guard troops. He has deployed them to the Texas border to lay out razor wire along various border positions and rivers and things like that as a way to mangle to get some public carnage uh of immigrants uh in order to you know boost his political fortunes right and this is he's doing this posing it as in you know he's in opposition to the border patrol which you know hilarious yeah says is too light and kind on migrants which is one of the most laughable statements uh you can make but this, yeah, but it's ha- good politics. I mean, yeah, it's good politics for him, right? And it's, uh, that's it's perfect, you know, like, uh, define this as some, you know, fight against the feds, but also the Biden administration, completely yeah. muddy the waters of like reality where of the brutality of the border patrol and, and the border and under Republicans or Democrats, you know, like, yeah, yeah it's, it's, um, yeah, it's bloody, it's, uh, it's depraved. It's perfect. 
Yeah. And it's important to acknowledge that, you know, the modern border regime, which has been being built since Jimmy Carter, has gotten more brutal, more violent, and more depraved under every single president. Like, there's yeah. never been one single moment of relief. Every president, Republican or Democrat, has made the situation worse on the U.S.-Mexico border, deliberately so, by the way, too. I mean, important to note that none of it was by accident or anything like that. They're mm-hmm. well aware of what they were doing and uh, have been essentially carrying out war crimes on the U.S.-Mexico border. But um, so in Texas, right, they're laying out this razor wire. Uh, the federal government was you know, trying to get an injunction to get them to stop uh, Texas. Then, you know, I think counterfiled against them, basically saying that they have the right to do this, blah, blah, blah. Right. The courts are jerking off to it. Um, it's gone back and forth with different rulings. I think it'll make its way to the Supreme Court eventually. But uh, the actual results of this on the ground is that a couple of weeks ago, in Eagle Pass, Texas, which is directly, kind of directly to the west of San Antonio on the U.S.-Mexico border, uh, sharing uh, the border with Piedras Negras, uh, which is the Mexican side of the border. But um, in Eagle Pass, there was a standoff between the forces of Texas and the Border Patrol at a park there where Abbott's guys were laying out razor wire while the two of them were jerking each other off, yelling at each other, you know, doing the it's out of your jurisdiction, you know, like uh, 80s cop movie bullshit. Mm. Uh, three migrants who were caught up in the river were swept away and drowned. Right. While all these guys watched. Um, and I think it's highlighted um, the actual reality of this phony, you know, just for politics show that the Biden administration and the Abbott administration are having on the Texas border. Uh, just tragic. Yeah, it, I mean, and yeah, let's not forget, you know, the Biden administration's part in this, which is, like you say, like, you, uh, just as brutal a border regime. I mean, they're continuing all, all the stuff that's, you know, the deportations, uh, in large numbers under Obama also continued under Trump and Biden, the same, same fucking shit going on. But here they, they want to do that and they get to do that for their donors, you know, and they get to do that cause they, they want to, but they get to, they like to, they don't like to run on it as much, you know, mm-hmm. except maybe on like some specific policies where they get to say like, well, actually we're being tough on the border, but in a nice way, um, which is bullshit. And this perfectly, uh, this is a perfect moment for them to, you know, play politics with it um, in, a, yeah. in a ludicrous way to like to wash the border like this, you know, to wash their border patrol like as like, oh, we're actually the reasonable ones this is why you elect us because we're doing, you know, border security and we're doing we're keeping the, uh, you know, Ill- illegal immigrants from coming here. But in in the kinder, gentler way, not this like loony, you know, build the wall way that Trump and Abbott and Republicans like to do. It's all horseshit. Yeah. And, um, I mean the, the, I will say the, the democratic, you know, Obama Biden, like, uh, position and sort of rhetoric and action on the border and border security, the border control is less coherent than the Republicans. 
um, which is why, you know, the, you, I, it, the Republicans probably somehow win in that battle in the end, you know, because yeah. like so many things, the Democrats are just incoherent. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're incoherent in their sort of public presentation of the policy, but basically totally coherent in the carrying out of it. Yeah. Um, you know, there was a really tragic case in 2010 of there was a, a migrants uh, march on D.C. to get some sort of immigration reform uh, with, you know, the migrants thinking, you know, representatives of these groups thinking that well, we have Obama in office. He's a reasonable guy. Right. And he said he, ta- he talks a reasonable game, etc. Some of them even got a meeting with uh, Obama on the day of the march. Right. Mm-hmm. And while they were in the meeting talking to him and he was doing his Obama thing. Right. You know, uh, talking nice, committing nothing. Right. Uh, their phones kept blowing up. They could, you know, they talked about how they could feel them like vibrating in their pockets just over and over and over again. And uh, of course, they're talking to the president. They're not going to fucking pull their phone out and answer the call, although I honestly they should. That's pretty funny. Um, when they got out of the meeting, what they realized was that while they're in that meeting with Obama, he had orchestrated a series of raids of migrant rights groups uh, in the D.C. area in Maryland and Virginia and had rounded up a bunch of the leadership and arrested them. It's like, again, I mean, this is the perfect representation of Democrat policy on the border, which is total like feckless, you know, oh, I mean, and hauling as far as public statements go. Well, a just totally brutal and focused campaign against migrants themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when it comes to the Border Patrol, I mean, again, this depiction of the Border Patrol as some sort of moderating influence on the border. I mean, the Border Patrol has long been famous for being hyper violent, like the most violent of American police forces, which is really saying something probably yeah. puts you high in the running for most violent police force on the planet, um, as well as being like essentially uncontrollable. Uh, there was again in uh, during the first uh, term, Obama's first term, there was the border agent who fired from the U.S. side, fired into Mexico, uh, killing a teenager on the El Paso uh, Ciudad Juarez border. Uh, The teenager was in Mexico when he shot and killed him. Um, The family, of course, you know, being barred from pursuing actual criminal charges against the U.S. Border Patrol in the United States, uh, were able to find somebody to give them standing to pursue a lawsuit against uh, against the U.S. government and the Obama administration, again, swooping to the aid of the Border Patrol, you know, while being very mealy mouthed in public in court, their defense was, well, of course, the Border Patrol can't be held liable for murdering people in Mexico. Like what kind of precedent would that set? Every time we drone bomb somebody, are they going to have standing to sue us? Mm -hmm. You know, and that is the, you know, when we talk about like Obama's public face versus his real face, right? You know, that that's one of those moments where you can see it. And, you know, that's been the case. I mean, uh, much of the worst aspects of U.S. border policy were pioneered under Bill Clinton, right? You know, I mean, it, it really is one of the most depressing elements of American uh, politics to follow is the, what's happening on the U.S.-Mexico border. Uh, there's just it it's just nothing positive for 50 years and no not even a single hint that it might get better in any way mm-hmm. 
Um, you know, that being said, the most dangerous thing on the on the border itself is the environment there, uh, all made worse by Border Patrol policy. But it's not even that the Border Patrol might shoot you. It's just the watch while you fucking get swept away and drown. This happened in Eagles Pass, right? About 300 to 500 people die trying to cross the U.S.-Mexico border every year, depending on weather conditions and economic conditions, etc. But, uh, you know, so many people die during the summer that, like, counties along the border bring in extra morgue trucks for the bodies and stuff like that. I mean, it really is this pretty horrifying uh, just carnage happening on the U.S.-Mexico border, uh, all of which is facilitated, supported, whatever, by both parties. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's total unison on policy here, which makes this political show in Texas, I think, just that much more um, grotesque, I guess. But yeah. Yeah, it's gross. Yeah, hate it. Don't like it. Not one bit. All right. Well, from one, uh, you know, from one war crime to another. From one empire to all of them. Greg, is Civ making us more imperialist? Look, and I'm asking this because I know that you are, this is the great debate right now on the internet, on social media, and I know that you are a dedicated player of a game called Civ. Oh and uh, from what I hear, this is why you support Putin uh, against Ukraine. So explain yourself, sir. Uh, I, I just want to, you know, it's a very simple take here, okay? Uh, when it comes to this uh, current affairs article about, yeah, I guess uh, civilization is, uh, as you say, making us more imperialist. And that's <laughs> that civilization is for baby imperialists. If you want to really do <laughs> imperialism, if you want to learn the ins and outs, if you want to feel the thrill of like, you know, putting down a native rebellion uh, of like painting the map with your empire and exploiting its natural resources. It's the expense of uh, various populations. If you want to really, really do uh, historical imperialism, historicized imperialism, uh, (laughs) if you want to really like live that out, uh, it's called Europa Universalis, motherfucker. What's this civ shit? This is for ba- this is for babies. It's for children. Get the fuck out of here with this shit. So, as I gather, your complaint about civ is not about the uh, embedded imperialism into the game. Embedded imperialism. It's embedded all fantasy. Equality in the yes. game. That's what yes. you don't like. It's all. It's all a fantasy. There's no real. It's uh, it's a fantasy of imperialism. It's like, you know, the civilization is to U- Europa Universalis as like um, Super Mario Brothers is to Call of Duty. Okay. <laughs> like there's you, violence. Wait, great. There's you're violence. Tell, you kill the Goombas. That. You bounce on top of them with your little cartoon man. And, you know, like, but like, it's not, it's not. It's not real. It's violence for babies. Okay, you want to do imperialism for for real imperialists, for real imperial heads. Um, you want to do colonialism. You want to do <laughs> all all in all of its forms. Uh, y- you want to do um, ethnic cleansing and genocide in service of your empire. You want to do settler colonialism in Ireland or the Americas or uh, fucking Eastern China if you want. 
from Europe. If you want to do settler colonialism as China in the Americas, Europa Universalis. Not the shit sieve shit. <laughs> well, I think the funny part about this, I mean, I look, I don't um uh play any of these games are too complicated i i'm i'm real baby brain i do age of empires but um if you you know the funny thing about these is of course capitalism when it creates products right those products they come out of the heads of capitalists right they they reproduce sort of capitalism's impulses and drives Mm -hmm. but video games particularly the modern video game i find so funny because you're right like we used to play uh you know super mario brothers or whatever because it was like, well, this is a child's entertainment, so we don't really care about what it says or anything like that. I love that in the modern era, the golden age of video games here, everything is just reproducing and turning you into the worst version of like an NFL team owner, right? In the sense that hmm. like you can play Call of Duty and relitigate like every war America's lost for 50 years, right? You can you can <laughs> um you can play, you know, Europa Universalis, right, and be like, what if I was a more brutal like conqueror, right? Or uh, in the case of, I said, you know, it turns into every worse NFL team owner. You can play my game, Madden, you know, uh, Madden football. And like, bait, you literally play in owner mode and you're, the whole way to win the game is to undermine your players, right? So like the whole way to win the game is to fuck your players on contracts. Like, you know, it teaches you like, hey, do you have a player that uh, is getting injured? Find a way to drop them and get them off your fucking cap, right? Like, you know, uh, use players up in their rookie contracts, then dump them, right? You know, it's this hilarious thing that not only teaches you to see the game of football through the eyes of ownership, right? <laughs> but totally teaches you uh, and teaches you to sympathize with them. It also teaches you well, here's some good strategies ownership could use to really fuck its players over while also maximizing personal profit because that's also part of the game too is you could go in and like change prices and all that kind of stuff to ensure that, you know, as the owner, you're getting a st- you know, healthy profit game to game. <laughs> it's part of the neoliberal moment that our fantasies are to participate in, to have agency in reality. Yeah, <laughs> in lieu just of want actual to, agency. Yeah. We just want to part to see. We want to recreate reality and to feel it and experience it uh, in a way that you know we feel like we are benefiting from and we have agency in, as opposed to just drifting along, like viewing it from afar. Uh, uh, you know, so uh, there's no, there's no. There's no better world. There's no better future. There's just the present and the past uh, uh, lived from in, in the fantasy of a present and past lived from a position of power. Yeah. And, you know, it makes a yearn for those uh, halcyon days of the early 2000s when the kind of uh, when you talked about, like, especially hardcore gaming, what you talked about with hardcore gamers, hardcore gaming was guys that sat around thinking, what would it be like to drive a tractor for real? (laughs) (laughs) It would get tractor simulator on their PC or those guys who are, they still do it. You know, I think it's getting less popular, but would create massive in their house, uh, like fantasy cockpits Mm -hmm. so they can play flight simulator. And we're like, what would it be like to just fly a Cessna around? Right. 
it just feels so wholesome now <laughs> in retrospect <laughs> that people were doing that. Uh, whereas now it's like, what would it be like to be uh, the most awful human being on the planet? <laughs> uh, good times. Yeah. Can't wait for Call of Duty Gaza. That's going to be fantastic. Oof. All right. Well, glad I spoke that into existence. All <sighs> right. Uh, well, I'm glad that we got updated on the news, Greg. Uh, for all of our listeners, you've been updated. Uh, hey, if you're thinking, is there any mechanical freak content I'm missing? There probably is. Go on to Patreon, become a patron. You get extra episode length, right? You get extra episodes, period. There's lots of extra content. All right. You can join our discord, all the good stuff. All right. Uh, for the price of a Starbucks latte, $5 a month, you can join our Patreon. That can't be the price of a Starbucks latte anymore, is it? It's got to be more than that, right? Oh, Biden inflation's got to have gotten to it by now. I don't know. I don't drink coffee. But for the price of two Diet Dr. Peppers at your local 7-Eleven concern, you can join our Patreon and get extra mechanical freak content. All right? So see you there. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.